with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and then she got pregnant, and he tried to like cover it up by, by having Uriah killed in the, in the battlefront, sending him into the worst part of the battle so he'd be killed. So he committed adultery, he committed murder. Then, we're not sure the exact span of time here, but then God sent Nathan the prophet to David. So David thinks he's got this all covered up. God sends Nathan to David, and God uses Nathan the prophet's words to David to convict David of his sins so that all of a sudden he sees you know what he's what he's done so just kind of picture there's David Nathan the prophet's been speaking to him the Holy Spirit convicts him of his sin and he sees what he's done so there he is under the the weight of God's displeasure under the sense of the seriousness of his sin there's David Now, what David does at that point, he's just been convicted of his sin, and what he does at that point is what every single one of us needs to do when we experience the Holy Spirit coming and bringing us conviction. What David does is he takes time to confess his sin before God. And what the Lord does, as he does, as he confesses, is that God meets him. And God lifts displeasure off of him. And God pours his love in upon him. And God cleanses him. And God restores him. And isn't that what you long for? I mean, don't we all long at those times where we've been convicted for sin to, to have the sense of God's love poured into our hearts afresh and to have God's forgiveness imparted to us and have our hearts be washed clean? If you're walking with Jesus, that's what we all long for. And, and the way to experience that on a regular basis is by responding to conviction of sin the way that David responds, and that is by confessing it before the Lord. And that's what I want to have us think about this morning. And, and I want us to learn from how David confessed this sin before the Lord. Because he wrote what he prayed in confession in one of the Psalms. It's Psalm 51. So let's go ahead and turn there and take a look at how he confesses his sin before the Lord. Psalm 51. If you need a Bible, yeah, raise your hand. Again, like I always say, I'd like you to be able to look at the passage in front of you. The scriptures is what's most important here. And anything I have to say that's helpful will simply be explaining what the scriptures are already saying. Psalm 51 is on page 474 in the Bibles that we're passing out. And I love this psalm because here we can listen in, we can kind of eavesdrop on how David confessed his sin before the Lord. How should we confess sin? What should we do? Here's a psalm that you can actually pray through line by line, and it's very powerful. Now, before we walk through this psalm line by line, I I felt like there was another question we needed to ask just to kind of set the stage for why this topic is so important. And that's just to simply say, why is it so important that we confess our sins to God? Why is that such an important thing to do? And I think we can see why in the first two verses of Psalm 51. Notice David asks God to do four different things in these first two verses. Look at what he prays. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now think about what David has just 
done in, in what he's saying here. It sounds like at the moment David is praying this, he's thinking he has not yet received God's mercy for that sin. Have mercy on me, God. He's thinking he hasn't yet had that sin blotted out. He's asking, blot out my transgressions. He's thinking he hasn't yet been washed clean and thoroughly cleansed from that sin because he says, wash me, cleanse me. So it sounds like in David's mind, he understands he needs to ask God to do these things to have God do these things. To press it further, it sounds like he's thinking, if I don't ask God to do these things, he may not do these things. He may not have mercy on me. He may not blot out my transgression. He may not wash me and cleanse me. Is that true? Let me try to make it a little more pointed so you'll feel the question. Let's say that this morning, before the service started, uh, you would at one point simply turned from trusting Jesus and just flat out lied to somebody about something for whatever reason. Okay? Let's just say you, you do that. Now, if you don't confess that sin to God, might God not have mercy on you? Might he not blot out that transgression or wash you or cleanse you from that sin? Okay, now, if you've been following Jesus for a little while and have been spending some time reading the Bible, you at this point should feel kind of torn. It's like, what? Torn with how, how do you answer that question? I hope you're feeling torn. That's a good thing if you are. Because there's two truths that we need to keep together here. And I'm going to try to do my best to help us keep them together. One truth, and they're both precious truths. One is simply this, that if you're trusting Jesus, then his death on the cross purchased and secured for you forgiveness for all your sins, past sins, present sins, and future sins. Forgiveness for all your sins has been purchased by his death and secured for you by his death. And this is how Paul talks, for example, in Romans chapter 4. He's talking about those who are trusting Jesus. And listen to what he says. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds, speaking of all of them, are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not, future, will not count his sin. So one precious truth we need to hold to is that if you're trusting Jesus, and this is precious beyond words, if you're trusting Jesus Christ right now, his death 2,000 years ago purchased and secured for you forgiveness for all your sins, past, present, and future. Purchased, secured, it's yours. That's one truth. Now, the other truth we need to hold up alongside this too is that, for example, Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, uh, forgive us our trespasses, right? Which sounds like we need to ask to be forgiven, right? 1 John 1.9 puts it this way, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Which sounds like if we don't confess our sins, then we won't be forgiven or cleansed. 
Okay, so how do we put these two together? So I, I spent some time this week. I was helped by an old Puritan named Thomas Watson, and I was helped by a new Puritan named John Piper. Okay, but I don't don't blame them for what I'm going to say here. I'm going to do the best I can. I think it's something like this, and I'd like you to wrestle with this some in your home groups to work on putting this together. Again, let me just state, we've got to start with the cross. It all starts there, and it ends there too. If you're trusting Jesus, his death has purchased and secured for you all the forgiveness you'll ever need, all the forgiveness for all your sins, past, present, and future. That's secure. He's done that. And the way you receive that, the way you experience that now, is by confessing your sins and asking for it. It's purchased and secured through the cross. It's received and experienced through confession. See how those fit together? Secured and purchased through the cross, received and experienced through Confession. I, I just try to think of an illustration to help you see this. See if this works. Here's some Monopoly money right here. Okay, picture it like this, okay? When Jesus died on the cross and you put your trust in him, it's like he deposited in your bank account all the money you'd need for every debt you'd ever incur. Okay? It's there. It's in the bank. It's yours But Jesus has set things up so that he wants us to come to him on a regular basis whenever we have a debt to receive it from him afresh. So it's there, but you got to go to the ATM machine, okay, to receive it. And so to make, to take it out of the metaphor, all of our forgiveness is there, but Jesus has such precious, powerful work he wants to do in your heart to give you in your heart when you come to confess, that he wants you to confess, to receive, and to experience the forgiveness when you've sinned. So it's all there, secured and purchased. But if I lied to somebody flat out this morning, he wants me to come to him and to ask him, and it's always there, it's there for the taking, but I need to take it by asking him and by by confessing it to him. And when I do ask him and I confess my sin to him, his love is poured into my heart, Forgiveness is imparted. I experience cleansing. He restores to me the joy of my salvation. Does that make sense? So it's all there. But I got to ask. I need to confess my sin in order to receive and experience the forgiveness. Okay, now two questions popped into my mind at this point that might be in yours. Okay, what if I forget to confess some sin? Okay, anybody, anybody ask that one? What if I forget to confess one? Hey, listen carefully. If you're trusting Jesus, that won't happen. Because if you're trusting Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit, the precious Holy Spirit. He's living inside of you. He's indwelling you. And he will convict you of all the sin you need to confess. He'll he'll do that convicting work in you. He will. He'll bring to your mind. You've experienced that. If you you know Jesus, you've experienced the convicting work of the Holy Spirit bringing sins to mind. Now, pay heed to those. Don't quench the Spirit or grieve the Spirit, but He will, especially if you're praying like what David prays in Psalm 139. um, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. 
As you pray that and as you're attentive to the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, he will remind you of whatever sins you need to confess. He will be faithful to do that. If you're following Jesus, you won't forget anything you need to confess. Second question I had was, okay, well, what if, what if I don't want to confess it? That also won't happen if you're following Jesus. That won't happen because if you put your trust in Jesus and you've experienced his heart-changing work, then he will cause your heart to want to confess your sins. You will want to confess your sins. That's one of the marks that you've experienced his saving work is you will want to confess. And so a large part of following Jesus is the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin regularly. We confess sin regularly, and then we receive forgiveness, cleansing, a fresh outpouring of God's love, joy restored regularly. Regular conviction, regular confession, regular forgiveness imparted. Regular conviction, regular confession, regular forgiveness imparted. Let me put it like this. The wonder of the cross, one one of the wonders of the cross, just one of them, is that Jesus has already purchased for you all the forgiveness you'll ever need. Okay, it's, it's all been purchased. You don't need to try to earn it. You don't need to try to deserve it. You don't need to do penance in order to be worthy of it. You don't need to get some time in purgatory to be receiving of it. All the work has been done. He's bought it. It's yours. The forgiveness is theirs. Is there. It's yours for the asking. But you have to ask. And that's why confession is so important. Okay? Now, so how do we ask? How do we confess our sin? Okay, I just went through Psalm 51. Oh, I would encourage you to memorize this psalm. I would encourage you to pray through this psalm. This psalm should be tear-stained in your Bible. Pen marks, words circled, dates. When God met you in this psalm. Let me just walk us through. As I studied this, I saw four main parts of confession. It's helpful for me to kind of work these through. First part, where David starts, is he pleads to God for mercy. Look at verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, there's only two approaches to confession. There's either, well, the first one a lot of people start off with is merits. One, con- one approach to confession is merit. And that's where you try to merit or deserve or earn forgiveness before God by maybe recounting to him all the good things that you've done or by reminding him that you know, you're certainly better than George over there or all the different ways that we can try to earn it. But so you've got to understand You will never, ever be forgiven if you try to come and receive forgiveness on the basis of your merits. I mean, get real. You've sinned. What you merit at that point is punishment. You don't want to talk about merits when you've sinned, right? Thankfully, because of the cross, there's a whole other approach to confession. That's mercy, not merits. But mercy, and just look at how David does this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, 
Another word for mercy. According to your abundant mercy. That's the whole third word. So in the first verse, there's three different words for mercy. Mercy, you can't see it in English, it's clear. Mercy, steadfast love, abundant mercy. Those are three entirely different words. So when you confess sin, you've got to start with the fact that I don't deserve anything good from you at this point. I am pleading for mercy. I need mercy. Humble yourself with the fact that if I'm talking about what I deserve, I'm going to be destroyed forever. I need mercy. I plead mercy. Now, here's the good news. God loves to give mercy. God loves. He loves to give mercy. He delights in mercy. It's all through the Bible. You come to him and ask for mercy, he's right there. It's like, yes, he loves to give mercy. Now, in the Old Testament, believers, they knew God loved mercy. They talk about it, celebrate it, but they couldn't see how God could be just to do that when they'd sin. They didn't see how he could do it. They knew he did it. They just didn't see how. We are in a glorious position of seeing how. How can God show mercy to us who have sinned? It's because if you're trusting Jesus, he's already punished your sin in Jesus' suffering in your place on the cross. So the starting point of confession is to plead for God's mercy. Start by pleading for God's mercy. Get rid of any ideas of merit. Get, I just like to picture myself or even get on my face and imagine myself on the face before the cross. Look at the cross. That's the punishment that your sin deserved. That's what you deserved. God poured it out upon Jesus. Plead for his mercy. Humble yourself before the cross and plead for God's mercy. That's where it all starts. That's just the foundation for everything else. Second part of... Uh, confession is to actually confess to God your sin. David takes verse 3, 4, 5, 6, four verses to do this. And look at how he does it. In verse 3, he calls sin, sin. This might sound elementary, but read the verse and then think about how often we don't do this. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Now just notice, he doesn't call it, you know, he doesn't say, I know my mistakes. He doesn't say, I'm aware of my weaknesses. He calls them my transgressions, my sins. He calls it what it is. Call it what it is before the Lord. It's not a weakness and it's not a flub. It's sin. And then David sees his sin as evil he's committed against God, which deserves God's judgments. Look at verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now just stop there for a second. We know that he sinned against Bathsheba. We know that he sinned against Uriah. Okay, and, and that was terrible. His sin against Uriah and against Bathsheba was terrible. But what was infinitely more terrible was that those sins against Bathsheba and Uriah were sins against a good, holy, perfect, gracious, kind, 
faithful God who had promised David again and again, I will provide for you, I will care for you, I will lead you, I will satisfy you, I will provide for you, I will care for you, I will lead you, I will satisfy you. God had proven himself flawlessly faithful through trial after trial after trial, shown himself good, shown himself faithful to David, and David said, screw you! I'm going to commit adultery here. She's hot. And I'm going to kill her husband. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Can you see the massive heart change that's come from what David did when he was committing adultery and murder to this line here? Oh, God, against you, I've sinned. You're my Lord. You've loved me. You've been faithful to me. You've cared for me. You're God. I've sinned against you, and I've done what's evil. He calls it evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. For you to decree that what I've done is deserving of hell is right, and I'm feeling it. Then David admits that sin is part of his nature, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So David admits, my problem is not just occasional sinful actions. My problem is, I, I am a sinner. I'm a sinful man. I've got a sin nature. Yes, I've been born again. Yes, I have a new nature created in me. But who I am in myself, apart from your saving work, I'm a sinful man. So he humbles himself with that. But then notice in verse 6, he rests in God's power, which has already started to change him. He's, he's been born again. God's sanctifying work is at work. He says, verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me. That's a future tense verb. You will teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So, yes, I have a sin nature, but God, you are changing me. But verses 3 through 6, he confesses to God his sin. He calls it sin. He says it's against you and it's evil and it deserves eternal judgment and it's part of who I am as a sinful man in my nature. Third part of confession. He asks God to forgive, cleanse, and restore him. Verses 7 through 12. Look at what he asks God to do. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop. You know, hyssop is just a, a kind of a branch that they would dip in water and sprinkle things, dip it in blood, sprinkle the sacrifices. Um, they used it to clean. It's like a, a broom you could sweep with, something like a mop you could clean off floors with water with. Purge me with hyssop. It's a, it's a metaphor. And I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You have felt this, haven't you? When you've, when you've sinned against God, you can turn away from that sin, turn my back on it, I'm walking a different direction, but you still feel, it's like the Ghostbusters movie, slimed, right? You still feel defiled. You, your, your heart isn't, isn't in tune with God as much anymore. Your mind is sullied, and it's dirty. It's, it's, you need cleansing. And so part of confessing sin is asking God, come upon me by the power of your Holy Spirit through Jesus and do a supernatural work of cleansing me. You know, you have felt what it's like to be sullied by sin and then to be cleansed by Jesus and his power. And the glory of cleansing, that's what he's asking God to do here. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. 
Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Okay, now when you sin, it separates you from God's presence. In God's presence is fullness of joy, Psalm 16, 11. When you sin, God, God lifts his joy-giving presence off of you. He lifts it off of you, his joy-giving presence, that aspect of his presence. And so part of confession is restore joy to me. Let me hear joy and gladness in you. Let the bones you've broken, the discipline you've brought upon me, but let me rejoice in you now. Verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. When I sin, God looks at me, he sees my sin. My sin's written in a book. It's not blotted out, it's right there. God sees me, my sin, he sees my sin written in the book. David says, Please, hide your face from my sins. Blot out from the book all of my iniquities. Now, the only way that can happen is because of Jesus. Right? Because God punished sin in Jesus, him being punished in our place. And so God can look away from your sin. God can erase out of the book, blot out of the book that sin. Isn't that a glorious picture? There's your sin. He blots it out because of what Jesus has done. So part of confession is, forgive me, don't look upon my sin. Wipe it out of the book, please, for Jesus' sake, do this. And he will. (laughs) He will. One moment you pray that, and you'll sense it. Then he's looking upon you, and he's not seeing any sin. And the, the sin's been blotted out of the book. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Again, when I sin, my heart gets affected, my mind gets affected. I'm a different man. You can't walk into the realm of sin and then turn around and walk out and think you're going to be the same person. You've been sullied, and you need to ask God for cleansing. And this is a beautiful prayer here in verse 10. Lord, create a clean heart. My heart is not clean. I've turned from the sin that's past, but my heart is still affected. Cleanse me. Renew a right spirit within me. Verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. It's a humbling thing to come before God and say, you have every reason to throw me out of your presence now and to take your Holy Spirit from me forever. Please, for Jesus' sake, don't. I ask you. I'm trusting your Son. Don't do what I deserve. That's confession. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. Same as verse 8, bring me back joy in you, gladness in you, because that'll sustain me and uphold me with the willing spirit. I'll be obedient, I'll be responsive. Restore that joy to me. Okay, so we've got three parts so far. We've got pleading for God's mercy. We've got confessing your sin as sin to God. And we've got asking God to basically restore, cleanse, and forgive you. And then there's one last part, fourth part. Give God reasons for what you're asking God to do. Give him reasons. This might sound strange to you. Do you ever give God reasons for why he should do the things you're asking God to do? We're going to talk about this more in weeks ahead because it's all through the Bible where men and women who pray give God reasons. Notice the reasons he gives in verses 13 through 19. Verse 13. Then 
When you do these things, Lord, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. In other words, cleanse me, restore me, forgive me, and I'll, I'll do all I can to help people come to know you. I'm not cutting a deal here. This is just what I want to do. I'll be able to do it. It's what you want me to do. Help me. Change me. Verses 14 and 15. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. In other words, forgive, restore, and cleanse me, because then I will be able to praise you. Verses 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I'd give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, the sacrifices God is really looking for are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David has a broken and contrite heart at this point, right? And so he's saying, God, forgive, restore, and cleanse me because my heart is broken and contrite before you. Another reason, one last reason, verses 18 and 19. Do good to Zion. That's just another word for Israel, Jerusalem, God's people. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. In other words, Father, forgive me, restore me, and cleanse me. Because then, as king of Israel, I'll be able to lead them to you in appropriate worship. So give God reasons. You can use some of these. Some of these don't necessarily fit you, like you're not the king of Israel, but you can use them and and have others as well. So give God reasons. You're pleading with God to do these things. Okay, now one last question. I try to think of how to ask this, and this is is how I came up with it. See if this helps you. It helped me. Why is David's confession so long? Anybody wonder about that? I would guess that the last time you were convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit and confessed your sin, it wasn't this long. I, w- I would guess, maybe, and, and I ha- I've been convicted about this this week, maybe it's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, please forgive me. Amen. And on with life. Right? Right? That's like three, three lines, maybe, just then. And, and David's got 19 verses here. It's a chunk of time. Why? Why so long? I think it's because he, he wants to pray and seek the Lord and confess his sins and he knows that there's something that he's asking God to do and he's seeking God to do in his heart experientially what he's asking God to do. I think, I think that's why. I mean, remember, if, if you're trusting Jesus, then all the forgiveness you'll ever need has already been purchased and secured for you and placed in your account. It's yours. It's there. But Jesus has set things up so that when you come and you ask him, you come to the ATM, you ask him, he will give forgiveness to you. You will experience the lifting of God's displeasure and the receiving of God's forgiveness. And it is glorious when you experience that. You'll sense his love being poured into your heart. You'll experience cleansing. You'll just, you'll feel clean, whole before him. You'll be restored. You'll be renewed. You'll be strong. You'll be reassured in an even more powerful way of the, the truth of the cross, the certainty of your salvation, the glory of Jesus, the wonder of what he's done. 
because you've come and asked. But there's, a, there's something you're asking God to do. You're asking him to apply this to you and to, to give this forgiveness to you. So I think what David's doing, see, confession, is, confession isn't just saying some words. Confession is seeking a work from the Holy Spirit in your heart. It's not just words spoken. It's a work pled for and received. So don't shortchange the process. Give it time. Seek the Lord. And again, God loves to pour out mercy. If your, your first line is, have mercy on me, he loves to show mercy. He will do what you're asking. And so what, what you'll experience, you'll experience times where he pours his forgiveness out upon you and you know you're forgiven, not just because 1 John 1, 9 said you are. That's glorious. Don't ever move off of that. We love that. Live on that. But you'll know you're forgiven not just because of that, but because you'll sense the, the assurance of the Holy Spirit pouring God's love into your heart afresh. And you'll feel freedom and cleansing and joy restored and his presence be, being brought to you. So I, I long for me and I long for you. Don't shortchange the process of confession. Confession is a glorious gift that Jesus has given to us. He wants to pour his love into your hearts. He wants to renew the joy of your salvation in you. He wants to cleanse you and to wash you clean. So pursue that. Ask him for that. Convict sin. The Holy Spirit will convict you this afternoon, this week. Confess sin. Give some time to it. And you'll experience the joy, the cleansing, the restoration of forgiveness again and again and again and again. Let's see what questions this has raised. We've got a couple minutes for some questions here. Let me try, and then let me know if, I, if I'm hitting what you're asking, because you've, you've asked a couple of really important things there. He hasn't offered the sacrifices yet, animal sacrifices, right? You're pointing that out. It's a very important thing to point out. Animal sacrifices in the Old Testament were a, a public, uh, community-oriented thing. Um, Hebrews 9 says the blood of bulls and goats don't take away sin. Hebrews 9 says that. Okay, so why, why, why offer them then? It's not that by offering them you would experience all of this. It was a way that God wanted to picture what Jesus was going to do. But I think David is picturing here what Old Testament saints did. From the very get-go, as soon as they're convicted, they're talking to God himself and, and asking for mercy and pleading for him to forgive them, and can receive that right then and there regardless of the animal sacrifices. But then they would go and offer animal sacrifices, like David says, after they've received their heart forgiveness from the Lord. That's how I see it working. Now, is part of your question, uh, Hebrews 9, uh, 13 through 15, says that the reason Old Testament believers could be forgiven was because of what Jesus would do in the future. When he paid for sin, he was paying for Abraham's sin, David's sin here, right? Okay, Sarah's sin. I'm not sure if that's what you were asking or not. Okay, so that's Hebrews 9, uh, 13 through 15. I'm pretty sure it's a text that says that really clearly in terms of how are Old Testament sins forgiven. Okay. I'm trying to do justice to the Lord's Prayer. You know, forgive us our trespasses. 
And 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. Everyone who's been saved by trusting Jesus, born again by the Holy Spirit, will have the Holy Spirit convict them of, of their sin and will, because of God's work in their heart, confess all their sins and will forgive, will confess all their sins and will be forgiven and will be in heaven. The good work God started, he will continue. Um, yes. I, I think it would be a, and you're not saying this, so let me just, I think it would be a misunderstanding of scripture to say, I don't, and I've heard people teach this, and, and they're well-meaning, but they've said, I, you don't need to f- confess sins um, to be forgiven. You're already forgiven. You don't need to confess sins to be forgiven. I don't think that does justice to 1 John 1, 9 and to the Lord's Prayer. And you're not saying that, I understand. Um, there are things that we can do. Let me, let me back up. There's warnings given to the church that if you don't continue in the faith, you won't go to heaven. Right? Warnings given to, to believers. I think if any believer doesn't continue in the faith, it doesn't show that they've lost their salvation. It shows that they weren't saved to begin with. But those warnings are valid nonetheless. And so if I'm facing some big temptation, and this is going to come back to the point, I hope, um, I'll say to myself, Fuller, if you, if you turn from Jesus, you may not go to heaven. I think it's biblical. I think it's valid. Okay, if, you have, if that raises lots of questions, we don't have time for them this morning, so you can email me. <laughs> If somebody is not confessing their sin, if, if the Holy Spirit has convicted them and they're not, not confessing sin, I would say, you need to confess your sin. And if you don't, God may not forgive you. I don't know what's going on. I don't know your past. I don't know if you're saved or not. All I know is if you're sitting there saying, he's convicted me and I'm not going to confess it, you may not be forgiven. I think, so I'm, I'm trying to do justice here. On the other side, you want to not get into the thing where the, the level of your penance or the level of your sorrow somehow earns forgiveness. No! <laughs> it's here for the asking. Ask, and you'll receive. Okay? Ask, and you'll receive. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. Let me just, boy, just to come, you know, yesterday was Mike Abrahamson's funeral. This will tie in, I think, maybe in some way. I, I think I need to say this here. I was grieved at the lack of clarity at the funeral about certainty of Mike's immediately being in paradise with Jesus. I understand what they're trying to do. The, the funeral was, was uh, the, the leader was saying that um, taking your life is a serious sin. Yes, it is. Taking your life is a serious sin. But then he said, the reason we can know Mike is going to be saved is because, because he had emotional difficulties. Maybe he wasn't fully responsible for his actions. I don't think that's a helpful direction to go in. That's not why. <laughs> he could have fully chosen to do what he did wrong, and Jesus' death has covered that sin. Right? There was a, there was a lack of a, assurance, and then it was the idea that God will give him an opportunity to repent and the whole purgatory thing, and that wasn't said, but that was, anyway, I just felt like, oh. So I want to say to you who are there, you know Mike was trusting Jesus, and Mike took his life. Right? Do you who trust Jesus ever sin? Yeah. And, and Jesus' blood covers that sin. And if you die in the moment of sinning, and if you weren't able to confess it, are you going to go to hell? No. No. Okay, so I, does that like do you see how that's a little bit of an intersection there? 
okay, I think, I think Mike has, I think Jesus said, well done. You fought against OCD. You fought against depression. I wish you wouldn't have done that at the end. But well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He's forgiven. He's there. He's free now. Okay? All right. Uh, we need to stop the questions. But if this has raised more questions than, than, than email me, it probably has, and it should. I hope it does. But we want to transition now into communion. Okay? So let's have the worship team come on up. And here's what I want us to do now. Communion is, is confession of sin, right? It's a beautiful opportunity to confess our sin before the Lord. So take this opportunity now. If the Lord is convicting you of some sin, then confess that to the Lord. If there's no particular sin he's convicting you of, then just come as somebody who sins and ask the Lord to bring a fresh sense of forgiveness and cleansing upon you. So, remember, David pleads for God's mercy. Do that. David calls sin, sin. Do that. David asks for God to restore, cleanse, and forgive him. Do that. And then David gives God reasons. And do that. And let's pray together that as we partake of communion now, the Holy Spirit will come and will give cleansing to you and impart forgiveness in a fresh, experienced way of pouring his love into your hearts and will renew a right spirit within you and create in you a clean heart and restore the joy of your salvation. I ask that you'd come upon us, Lord, now. Would you do the things that David asked you to do and would you do them in us? It's all because of the cross We want to remember your death with the bread, broken body, with the cup, your shed blood. I pray, Jesus, you'd bring your power upon us now. We don't just want empty rituals here, Lord. We want spirit-imparted cleansing, confession, repentance, joy, forgiveness. Come and do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.